It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight, amen? As we kind of continue, and this afternoon I was kind of thinking, I was sitting talking with some of the guys, and just about all the wonderful things that the Lord is doing uh, in us as a church. It's just a privilege uh, to watch the Lord work in this place. If it's this good here, I can't imagine how good it's going to be when we get there. Amen? Amen. God is good. And just so you know, it's overcast, so you don't need to go out and try and see the blood moon tonight. (laughs) Say that. You won't be able to see it. (laughs) Turn again to Matthew chapter 5, and we continue now. this is, uh, this is one of those uh, AYKM passages again. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Not, you know, come on, give us a break. Let up, get off the gas a little bit, Jesus, is kind of the, the way sometimes as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I really want to lighten your load tonight. I want to take a burden off of you. Because I, I think when we ponder our own lives, our own existence, probably nobody in here tonight that hasn't been hurt, hasn't been wounded, hasn't been afflicted, and uh, that's before you get out of the house in the morning. Amen? <laughs> and then the world digs its fingers into your little tidbit of flesh, and so Remember that these things that Jesus is teaching on here in the Sermon on the Mount, really in some ways, I mean, they're still the standard for all people, but in in so many ways, and really in a very specific way, they're just not going to be understood by somebody who doesn't know the Lord. And when you look at them, they're so opposed to the way that our world works. They're the opposite in, in most cases. And Jesus is now going to go on. We'll pick up in verse 38 in in, uh, a message tonight, uh, retaliation, uh, retribution, revenge. Now, when I use those words, you would probably agree with me that, nah, you don't seek retaliation. You don't seek retribution. You don't seek revenge on anybody. But I say to you, that's highly likely not true in most of our lives. We may not think that we think that way, but because of our sin nature, when you get hurt or when you get wounded, generally one of the first things you think about is how do I get even? And in most cases, it's not just getting even, it's kind of the 1-800-sue-somebody mentality, Amen. You know, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm on, I got Larry H. Parker on speed dial. Just, I don't know, man. Somebody spilled coffee on me. I don't think that's five million bucks. Our world is filled with that mentality, and it, and it bleeds over into our lives as Christians. And we don't even pick up on it a lot of times. We, we don't quite get it. We're, we're like... You know, why do I think that way? Well, because virtually everything in our world is geared first and foremost towards egocentrism. In other words, me first. 
And then after that, it's that little tiny sphere of people that you could actually say, well, I really care about that group, so, you know, don't, don't get even with them either. But boy, when it gets like one or two people outside of your core group, it's like, you br- I'll kill you. And we certainly see that in, in the devaluation of human life in our world, don't we? Don't we see that in our communities? You know, I, every time I, I hear or I read about some senseless shooting to where it makes no, absolutely no sense, no sense, and then you read that it's retaliation because someone disrespected somebody else and they got into an argument and the result of that is they pull up and in front of somebody's house or maybe they're in a supermarket in the wrong place at the wrong time and our world is filled with that mentality if you hurt me I'll hurt you worse and it's so not Jesus it's so not Jesus And so Jesus now is going to confront a mentality that maybe we thought was new to the last hundred years, but it's been around a long time. Father, we thank you for just blessing us, Lord. Thanks for your presence as we've been able to worship you and draw near to you and know that you'll draw near to us. We're so grateful for that, Lord. And we think about our own lives, how how really dare we seek retribution how dare we retaliate really god how could it possibly be that we would ever think about getting revenge and yet lord we admit at times we think that way maybe it's in some small thing but it's a seed much like these other things and we pray that you'd help us to see our fellow sojourners on this earth our fellow human beings with your love and with your kindness. You even loved Judas. You loved Pilate. You had affinity for Herod Antipas. Lord, even Herodias. Lord, you you cared for her. God, those who came to the garden that night to haul you away to a false trial six times. You told Peter, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Lord, you reminded us that retaliation never does anything but bring pain to both the person who does it and the person who receives it. And so, Lord, tonight, soften our hearts, cause us to hear your voice. We love you. We bless you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 38 here in Matthew 5, and you have heard that it was said, so again, this, this Hebraism, this Judaism, this uh, piece that points back towards what the Pharisees would say and what the Sadducees would say, what the religious rulers of the church would have said at that time. You've heard it said, those who instruct you, but wrongly, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, not to even resist an evil person. 
And we're going to look at this in depth tonight because it's not talking about self-defense. It's not talking about restraining evil. We're actually commanded to do that. But there are times when we have to make a choice as Christians to pick our battles. Amen? To really discern in our own hearts and in our own minds, is this for a kingdom benefit or is this for my own personal retaliation, my own personal retribution, my own personal revenge? Is this me wanting to get even or is this a righteous cause for which the Lord would have me stand? And I can tell you a vast majority of the time, in most circumstances, we have a tendency to personalize things that really are not personal at all. And when you see other people through the eyes of Christ and through their brokenness, whether it's in your marriage or maybe in your child rearing, perhaps it's in your workplace, maybe it's in the midst of your home, when you see other people through the eyes of Jesus, your eyes get really soft and really moist really wet and the rivers of tears very often flow because we are broken people and when I say we I mean me too there are times when you just say the wrong thing you do the wrong thing you you live long enough to regret the attitude the action and the angst that comes from it and when we see each other when we see especially other believers from the way God sees us, it should induce in us a heart of passion and a heart of compassion. One that's zealous for good works and one that identifies the real core problem. And the core problem is as long as we're on this earth, every last one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior from the time we meet Jesus to the time we go home. We're just saved sinners, folks. We're saints to be sure, but we're still sinners saved by grace. And oh, how we need to be gracious to each other. And so he says, look, I I, I tell you not to resist an evil person. And he goes on and he says almost the unthinkable when when we ponder it in our modern context. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. That is not our first response as a human being, is it? And again, this is not talking about unrequited evil. In other words, something that you can say, that person intends, intends evil on you. This is a person who has insulted you. That's what the slap to the face was. That's what Jesus is referring to. It's talking about someone who in that day and time the most despicable thing you could do to somebody without actually really harming them was to slap them in the face. It was an insult to their character. It was an insult to their heritage. And it was an insult to the very substance of the person that they were. And so what Jesus is saying is when someone insults you, an insult doesn't need you to retaliate. You don't need to slap back because someone has slapped you. How many arguments, how many fights, how many disagreements, how many things in marriage do you think would never happen if the first person who was offended stopped and said, would you like my other cheek? I'd rather be humiliated myself 
that humiliate you. Because let's face it, we can all fire back, can't we? Anybody in here lived long enough to, to regret some of the words you've ever said to someone? Me? Yeah, your pastor's done that. Said things that I look at and I go, why did I say that? Why did he do, you know, what was I thinking? And it afflicted and it hurt, caused pain, sometimes with a little bit of intent even. You know, those little sharp barbed digs that we somehow innately know to fire back when someone speaks to us wrongly. And then out of the abundance of your heart, those stored things, you see where Jesus is going with this? He's talking about this, not this. He's talking about heart, not head. He's saying, look, you, you, you have these things stored in your heart, and the reason that they come out so quickly when someone insults you, when someone slaps you, when someone hits you with something you don't like, the reason they come out so quickly is because that's the real you. You've been storing that stuff up. You've been waiting for your husband. You've been waiting for your wife. You've been waiting for your kids. You've been waiting for your coworkers. You have been waiting for the opportunity to get retribution, retaliation, and revenge because stored up in your heart is a heart, not the heart of the Lord, but it's that heart that's looking to get even because we don't like being hurt. Look how the Lord handles this. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And before we break all this down, let me, let me explain this to you. During that, during that time, if someone had two garments, they had a cloak and they had a tunic. And if you went to court... Okay. You could not take the person's cloak because the cloak was the outer garment. It was generally at least knee length, sometimes down to the feet, and it was also their warmth at night. They depended on that to stay alive, to keep out the night chill. And so it was so built into the law then that you couldn't take someone's primary security. And so Jesus is getting to the heart. You see, when someone comes and, you know, we all know the famous cases and some of the pieces of evidence may be missing, but the point is this. Uh, when you slip on a banana peel in Vons and you bruise your tailbone, that's not $2.75 million worth. When someone backs into your car and you're in it, that's not you get medical leave for the next eight years of your life because you got hit at one mile an hour. Okay? You see, we're prone to look at it almost in a way, well, you know, I've been mistreated most of my life and I'm going to get me some. It's my time to get back. And all of those rotten, dirty people who have mistreated me throughout my... And we store that up. And that anger, and that hatred, and that pain, and that garbage collects. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever done this, but garbage disposals may well be one of the most vile things on this earth. And if you ever have to take one apart, 
there's gunk in there from like years ago. And it's not nice. And it's kind of like our heart. You see, we kind of chew the stuff up. We kind of sort of get rid of it. But there's that ugly residue that's still stuck inside the heart. And when that residue builds up, pretty soon the sink overflows. Amen? You know what I'm saying. And you're saying, man, and out comes that potato you ground up last week and, you know, the sock that the dog dropped in there that you didn't know went down and there's all this stuff. And it's clogged up your heart. And your heart's now full of all of this debris, but it's in little tiny pieces. And so it still kind of works. You know, some water goes down, okay, but it's starting to rot, and it's starting to stink, and it's starting to smell. And then all of a sudden, that one final chicken bone. (laughs) And then the bowels of the earth open up in your sink. And you don't even know where it comes from. It just flows out. what Jesus is talking about. We take stuff in and we chew on it and we digest it and we kind of sort of deal with it and it gets a little bit ground. It's a little smaller than it was initially, but man, we, we haven't had any liquid plumber down there in a while. We haven't taken the time to plunge that. We haven't taken time to purge that stuff. And Jesus is saying, look, unless you want that to come back, you've got to get rid of it. And so he says, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. And you need to understand what Jesus is referring to. You see, when the Romans uh, took over what we know is basically the entire Middle East, now imagine that they're headquartered in Rome and to the east of there would be uh, the peninsula that ties in now to modern day Slovenia and Slovakia and on down into Greece and all the way over into Turkey and Syria and down to where Jerusalem, where this is being spoken down in the region of modern day Israel. You see, the Romans took all that over, and when they took over, when the Roman army would come into a region, they could demand of those that were being held captive in their own land, whose possessions were stolen from them, who had been forced under threat of death to give up everything they owed, the Romans still had the right to say, Hey, would you pick up my stuff and carry it for a mile? And then they'd get somebody else to pick their stuff up and carry it for another mile. And Jesus is saying, as bitter as that is, as hard as that is, as unfair as that is, as brutal as that is to your, even your being as a believer, I say to you, don't just go the one mile. Show them who I am. You you grab that and you go another mile. 
You tell them exactly how great your God is and how forgiveness is at work in your life towards them and you go that other mile. Twice. The allowable by law. And then he says, yet an un- more unthinkable thing to him who asks you, from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn him away. Man, is this exactly the opposite of how we respond naturally in our humanness? It is for me. This is one of those areas where it's like, Lord, you, you still need to do some work in, in Jeff's life. And we have a tendency to judge it. We have a tendency to kind of weigh it and see what it looks like. And, well, for this person, because they're not a total scumbag heathen, I'll kind of sort of do that. And for this person who, well, I kind of know them a little bit, maybe I'll sort of me and do some of these things, but, you know. And we try and justify our response, don't we? It's interesting how these words play out in the original language because as you look at them, Jesus is literally adding one to the other. He's speaking of these things in such a way that's like, look, if you didn't get it the first time, here's another example of the same thing. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, it's not just, it's not just bad enough when you, when you start to read all these things that you look at it and you go, okay, well, you know, I realize the original law was eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But if somebody insults you, let them slap both cheeks. Give them one, then turn them the other. If they want to see you, give them the tunic, give them the cloak. If they want you to walk a mile, go another mile. And, oh, by the way, if somebody asks something from you, the guy that is mistreating you, would you please give him all your stuff so that I would be glorified? Man, it's like, okay, look, here's the deal. You can slap me once, I'm going to let you slap the other cheek, after that, knocking your teeth out. You can have my cloak, you can have my tunic, provided I was actually going to give that to the thrift store anyway. You see what I'm saying? You understand how it works? You see, Jesus is saying, give your best to them. Take the one, that was the most expensive possession that most people during that day and time had. It was their cloak. If they owned any property at all, if they actually owned something, it would generally be a cloak. That would be their most prized possession. He's saying, don't just give them your shirt, the undergarment, the un- basically your underwear. Don't give them your underwear. Give them your party dress. Give them the tux. Give them the very best of what you have. And if that's not bad enough, you know, if you're burdened down by the weights that they put on you, grab some more stuff from them and carry it a little further. You know, just in case you didn't get that, if there's anything I left out, Whatever it is, if they ask you to do it, do it. Man, is that different than what we're used to in our world or what? You know, we go in, we drive, do you guys do this? You drive into the drive-thru and you order and you know, you're articulating every word. I would like a number two, please, with a diet Coke. And somehow that turns into a number five with iced tea, no lemon. You get your bag, and you you always drive away before you look in it, right? Everybody else do that? You drive away with the bag. You, You look inside the bag. God of heaven, what has happened? 
this is a chicken sandwich. And it's got mayo. Honey, I'm turning around. I have to tell someone about this. And you, and you go back. All right, which one of you college dropouts gave me this? You know, you, you just think of all these things. If you really had any value, you wouldn't be working here anyway. And you go through all this stuff in your head about how you got there. And like, we call it the Gill Curse. Anybody that drives with me, I will always get the slow lane. Always. Forever. It, God just allows it to happen. So don't ever ride with me if you don't want to get there last. And so you're going through all these things and you're looking at this stuff and it's like all of a sudden this cheeseburger that you were supposed to get has turned into the biggest thing. And it, Well, they knew who I was. And that's why they gave me a chicken sandwich. And they probably spit on it too. You know, you think of those things, don't you? You guys are all laughing because you think the same thing. And it happens to us. And all of a sudden, we're not looking to go bless that person. You're not thinking, man, I wonder what kind of a horrible day did that person have that they so messed up my order. Jesus is saying, think about why they did what they did and treat them the way you'd want to be treated because you don't know where they were walking. You don't know what brokenness was in their life. He didn't intend to totally ruin your fast food junkieism. They maybe actually just made a mistake. Or maybe they're really wounded. Something's going on in their life. Jesus points these things out because the law at the time for the Roman was lex talionis. And lex talionis, we call it quid pro quo or tit for tat. It's whatever one person does, you do that back to them. And so the original law, that by the way is from the code of Hammurabi. That's where it came from, the Babylonian king. Babylonian king Hammurabi laid out this code by, if you look on the Supreme Court building, you'll see Hammurabi up there. He's with Moses and all the guys up on the front of the great lawgivers. There are some hundred years before Moses was actually even alive. And in that great code was this code that the punishment had to fit the crime. That was the basic rule. And so within the scripture, we find the punishment fitting the crime. And Jesus is taking it even past that. He's saying, not only is that not okay, but why don't you try doing good to someone who spitefully use you? Because see, when you do that, it's going to freak them out. They're going to wonder if you're demented or something. And then all of a sudden, what's going to happen is you're going to have an opportunity to tell them why. They're going to be asking a lot of questions. You you know what I'm saying? You've probably had that experience every once in a while. You'll realize you you didn't, and it, it freaks people out. It does. You've been at Home Depot. And you went in there and you bought some stuff and you realize that underneath your cart there was like a $500 drill set or something and they completely miss it and you go out to the car and somehow it doesn't set off the burglar alarm thing and you get out there and you realize, I didn't pay for this. And you go back inside and you give it, I didn't pay for this. They're like, what? They're in shock. That you would actually be kind and honest and they're not going to lose their job because they rang it up it's going to be on them 
the drill set. It's right here. He's saying, do good. Be kind. Be nice. And we certainly shouldn't be looking to get even. And this is on personal offenses. And I want to make a real clear distinction here. The Lord was not saying that civil government shouldn't be aided in punishing wrongdoers. Because that would be against what Scripture plainly teaches in Romans chapter 13. That the government itself bears the sword. It doesn't bear that sword in vain, but they're there for your good. And they are actually used by the Holy Spirit to restrain evil. So law enforcement's a great thing. Repelling burglary. It's okay. If you have a burglar, you don't have to have a sign that says, come rip me off. It's your house. You know, it's on the outside little neon thing with an arrow pointing towards your open window. Here's my stuff. You don't have to do that. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is in these personal slights, these things where we can have a tendency to really blow them out of proportion, don't do that. Matter of fact, go the extra mile to suffer some indignity yourself. Go the extra mile so that somebody knows exactly how much Jesus loves them. When you get wronged, be ready to give in that situation. And man, where I see this in play so very often is in marriage counseling. One or the other party has been wrong, and oh my, like the claws come out. It's like all this stuff has welled up, and we forget what Jesus said about forgiveness. Read it, Matthew 18. We forget what his word declares to us. If your brother in Galatians 6 and chapter or chapter 6 and verse 1, if your brother sins against you, your brother does something really not okay. Harms you, hurts you. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Recognize who you are, how weak your flesh is. You look at your brother and, and is not are, 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 are not our spouses also our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Amen? Your spouse is also your brother and your sister. If you're both believers, that is your brother or your sister as well as your wife. If your brother sins against you, you who are spiritual restore. It doesn't say get retribution. It doesn't say get revenge. It doesn't say retaliate. It says you who are spiritual, restore, refresh, rebuild, renew, basically repent. You see, when when people come and they tell me, well, it's just over, it is never over until the Lord comes and gets you. It's never over. And if we live by these things, we learn to go a lot further. We go that second mile, that third mile, that fourth mile, that tenth mile. Does that mean that we endlessly have to put up with, with injustices without saying a word? No, that's not what's being said. But what it is saying is that when that injustice comes, you handle it in such a way that that person knows that you're turning to Christ and not against them. It's a huge distinction. That you're turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, change them. Lord, change me. 
Lord, change the situation. Work in my life. Do something amazing. I want to see a miracle, God. Restore this relationship. Not I'm going to get, I'm going to get you. You got it coming. We all have it coming, amen? I got it coming. If you don't think you have it coming, we can talk later. Romans chapter 12, you want to turn there. Verse 19, it begins this way. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Romans 12, 19. Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. Whenever you see the word wrath in Scripture, it is never once, not ever, given to human beings to carry it out. Never is it given to human beings. It's always assigned to a perfect, holy, and just God. God alone is capable of avenging. And so what does it say? Repeats the original command there in Deuteronomy 32. For vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And therefore, check this, mark it, therefore, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. What? Now I'm going to starve. I'm going to knock his teeth out so he can't eat. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. No way. Yeah, maybe it's something that'll make him sick, but I'm not giving. No, it's not happening. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. And there are a number of different ways to translate that verse. Probably the best is Dr. Kenneth Lewis, uh, famed original language Greek scholar. But as he looked at this, really the, the easiest way to understand it is really not in the negative, because remember, this is not written in the negative. It's written in the positive, to love your enemies. Amen? It's so it doesn't really make any sense to, you know, like take their hair and dump, you know, a bunch of briquettes on their head. Okay? That's not what's being said there. There was a custom during that day and time when people would travel from place to place and from road to road. Fire was one of the most valuable things that someone could have. It allowed them to keep warm. It allowed them to cook their food. It was something that you needed. And so if someone came to your house, the assumption was if they were going on their journey, that they would take a pot. That pot would have a very thick clay bottom on it. And upon their head, you would then put coals inside of that pot. And in doing so, they could then go keep themselves warm and cook their food, provide for their family. And so what he's really saying is, when your enemy comes over to your house, don't wish that they'd freeze to death and starve to death. Instead, give them a way to have God's provision in their life. Wow, that's not natural, is it? That's not what we really think of most of the time. Yet it's so much like the Lord. And then it says, do not overcome evil. Be overcome, rather, by evil, but rather overcome evil with good. In other words, the key to overcoming evil is not more evil. Amen? That's why retaliations don't work. 
Because it's evil for evil. It's you did this to me, I'll do this to you. And then what happens? That person turns around and does more to you, and then you turn around and do more to them. Is that not how these hideous arguments begin in our families? Amen? Well, you said this. Well, you said that. Well, you said this. Well, I said that because you said this. And then before you know it, like seven regenerations of that same thing happens. It's like, yeah, well, your mom wears army boots. Yeah, well, you're, you know the playground stuff. That's exactly how it comes across, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, well, you don't even have any hair on your head. It's the way it works. It starts getting all this crazy tit-for-tat stuff. And pretty soon you run out of ways to actually retaliate and rebuke the other person. And before you know it, you're going, well, I don't even know what to say to that. But I win. I totaled up all my retaliatory remarks, and I am a winner. That is exactly, by the way, why we love to watch debates. We are, it's just like NASCAR. You are not watching NASCAR because, ooh, left turn. You're watching NASCAR because, I hope he dies. <laughs> Going around that corner 200 miles an hour, something's going to blow up. And in our human nature, that's what we're doing. We're watching these things happen. We're engaging in these things because we're actually waiting for the accident. And the Lord says, nah. Now you do good. You bless somebody who uses you. And here's what happens. It's impossible to fight with somebody who will not fight with you. Do you know that? It's impossible. If you choose to do this, when someone comes against you, that will be the shortest fight you've ever been in in your entire life. And again, this is not talking about criminal intent. This is talking about two people, generally speaking. This is disciples who are hearing. This is Christians. It's good for everybody, but it applies directly to Christians. It's when somebody hurts you. You say, look, it's going to stop with me. I refuse to hurt you back. I refuse to harm you. I refuse to say something in like kind to you. I will not do it because it's not like Jesus. Done. And then you know what happens? That person starts feeling guilty. And before you know it, because guilt's a good thing. We have gotten in our world to where guilt's a bad thing. Nobody's supposed to feel guilty about anything. Guilt is from God. He built guilt into Adam and Eve. Amen? You remember what he said? Garden of Eden. Who told you you were naked? Uh, well, um, her. They were guilty. I knew they were wrong. God was looking for a confession. They were looking to place blame. Personal vengeance never ever delivers what it promises. Ever. Probably many of us can think back to our high school experience. It seems like that's, you know, the hormones and the high school angst and trying to figure out relationships and all those things that go on during that period of time in life. And, you know, you just... Isn't it crazy that you actually think you know everything when you're a high school student? (laughs) You know, like, well, I studied physics. Yeah, well, I lived life, so nah. You know, you, you, you sit there and you think all these things, you go through all this stuff in your life, and 
man, everything's a big deal. And they're sitting at the lunch table. Yeah, well, do you know what she said about somebody? Yeah, well, you know, I was her boyfriend or what? You know, and pretty soon there's two guys pounding each other's face in over something that somebody else said that someone else said about the person that they didn't like yesterday. It's how our brain works. We don't even get our facts straight and we're flying off the handle. And Jesus is saying, when you have your facts straight, still don't fly off the handle. Matter of fact, resist the devil. Do good to them. So James 4, chapter chapter 4, verse 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. When you resist the devil, he eventually says, you know what? This is useless. This is pointless. I can't get him to do what I want. I'm done. It's the way it works. Proper resisting is a wonderful, wonderful thing. This passage doesn't speak as many take it to believe that you're not allowed to, you know, a burglar comes into your house. Okay, well, what do you want? The diamonds are over here and the cash is over here. My dog's over there. Do you need groceries? That's that's insane. That's not what's being said. It's saying when someone, you, have a situation that's come into your life and you have the opportunity to show them Christ, that you show them Christ as opposed to showing them your flesh. Not resisting evil shows no one Christ. Amen? If all Christians just, okay, we'll go ahead and take everything. We, we'd all, you know, we're going to be out here on Vermont with a shopping cart. That's what's going to happen. That's not what God wants. But God does want us to realize that the stuff that we own doesn't actually belong to us. It's not mine in the first place. And so if it's going to ruin a relationship, better to give it up than ruin the relationship. Better to give it over than to lose a friend. Or worse yet, a family member, someone who's a brother, someone who's a sister in the Lord. So, of course, we resist sin. We're reminded throughout Scripture, immorality sneaks into the church. We're supposed to deal with it, and if they won't repent, actually make sure that they understand by saying, look, you're not welcome here until you repent, period. That's what it says. Peter was actually opposed by Paul himself because he, he had some wrong doctrine. He was, he was taking up the cause of the Judaizers in Galatians chapter 2. And Paul resisted. He said, look, you're condemned by your own words. You've got to stop saying this stuff. Jesus himself, what did he do with the money changers? Well, you know, you really should check your rate of return. No, he flipped the tables over. He made a scourge and flogged them. He said, this, this is my father's house. It's to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. That was the meek one himself, by the way. So there's times for that righteous indignation that says, look, this is right, that's wrong, we're going to do what's right. But when your brother comes to you, your sister comes to you, your friend comes to you, when someone comes to you, and they step on your toes, that is not the time to take out the scourge. That's not the time to flog somebody. That's the time to see if you can bridge that gap by loving them. 
ministering to them. As long as we have unbelievers on the face of this earth, we're going to have evil. That is for sure. That's why we submit ourselves to the Lord in every human institution, king, authority. That's what Peter said to the church in 1 Peter chapter 2. We need to submit ourselves to that, that authority that God's allowed to be established. Otherwise, we'd have chaos. Can you imagine? You want to see how that works out? I name you a couple of places. Nazi Germany. Stalinist Russia, Laos and Cambodia under Pol Pot, the, the wonder of Chairman Mao's work throughout China and into Indochina. You, you can see unrestrained evil, what it does. I'm not talking about that. We need to oppose evil. Our crime-wracked society, there needs to be somebody who stands for righteousness, and that is going to be the church. So I want to leave you with four things tonight. Four things that I believe the Lord would have us draw from this because he's really looking at basic human freedoms with regard to how we deal with each other in this world. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, give them the, the other one also, the left one also. It's talking about human dignity because the most indignant thing that you could do was to be slapped in the face. If you travel to Arabic countries to this day, a divorce can actually be consummated by the person giving the certificate of divorce, taking off their sandal, showing them the bottom of the sandal, and then slapping the person in the face and saying, I divorce you. It's still a custom today. And so when we think about this, this is a gross indignity it didn't leave the person's character intact. It was assaulting who they were as a human being. It wasn't just assaulting their physical being. It was saying, you don't even have any value. You're not even worthy of me talking to you, so I'll slap you instead. For some of us, we're old enough to have grown up in the era when, unfortunately, uh, parents had kind of a little bit of an issue there for a while. It's like it was okay to slap your children in the face. It's like they said something, like, bam! You know, it's not, it's not the pain. It's the indignity of it. It's it, this thing that represents who we are. This is how we generally know one another, amen? If we're to cover up our faces and we walked around all with bags on our heads, none of us would know who the other person is, amen? Who doesn't? And, and none of the other factors really are going to be able to determine that for you unless you've got like some weird, like you're the six-fingered man from Andigo Montoya or something. You know, maybe you, the one Nephilim in the crowd, I don't know. But generally speaking, it's our facial features, isn't it? And the reason this was so insulting it was to insult the very substance of what we know as that person's identity. And so Jesus says, leave each other's dignity intact. Maybe you have a disagreement, but don't assault the dignity of another person. One of the things that grieves our culture so is that we, we offer gross indignity to people who have nothing left but their identity. That's all they have. It's everything they are. They don't have any possessions. The only thing they have is this. 
And so the Lord says, leave their dignity intact. A second thing is their security. And so he says, look, if anyone wants to sue you and take your your shirt, basically, your night shirt or your tunic, let him have your coat or your cloak also. And it was built into the legal system. And most people during that day, they may have owned more than one shirt. But almost without exception, unless you were very wealthy, if you were in the royal class, would you have ever owned two coats, two tunics? They were usually woven in a single piece of fabric. They, they kind of looked like a gunny sack with a hole in it with a couple of slits for the arms. But they were sufficient to keep you warm. And so your tunic, don't take away your brother or your sister's security. Don't so uproot their person that not only is their character maligned, but the very substance of their life is at issue. How much better would our world be if just those two things got put into practice for every human being on this planet? That we would care so much about other people that we would never, ever, ever assault their dignity and we would never, ever, ever allow their security to be taken from them. And so Jesus says, look, keep their security intact. The court might demand something of you, but you can voluntarily say, no, I wouldn't do that because it'll take their security away. And a third thing, and look at this, whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. As kingdom citizens, we have the opportunity to both take away liberty and to give liberty. And in this case, what he's really saying is, look, If you forfeit your own liberty so someone else has it, that's a great trade. You see how these are kingdom things? The Lord speaks to us and he says, look, don't take their dignity, don't take their security, and oh, by all means, make sure that your liberty doesn't step on somebody else. You see, they can't force you to do it. They can't make you do it. But in liberty, you can use your liberty to bless someone else. See, look, I don't have to go but a mile with you. But in liberty, I'm going two. I might go three. I'll go four. I'm going to go until I can't go anymore because I want you to know the liberty that I have in Christ Jesus. Man, how crazy, how crazy awesome would our world be If we said, look, I'll leave your dignity intact, I'll leave your security intact, I will leave your liberty intact, I'll forfeit my own liberties to bless you. That's how much you cherish the relationship. And a fourth and a final thing, our real property rights. Man, are we not about property rights? Who owns what? Amen? We are. The world is. People freak out over such stuff. Give you a little biblical secret. You don't own nothing. (laughs) All belongs to God. Every last thing on this earth is not yours. I don't care. You may have it in your bank account. You may live in it. You may drive it. You may wear it. You may eat it. But it ain't yours. It's all His. It's all His. And so our real property rights, look how they're addressed. 
Give to him who asks of you. Do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. What God is saying is that when you have the capacity to leave someone's dignity intact and you have the ability to leave their security intact and you have the ability to set them free by using your own liberties to bless them. And when you say, look, apart from God, I wouldn't have anything anyway, so if you need it, it's yours. And again, he's not talking about wasteful things. He's not talking about enabling someone who's a, you know, well, here, have some crack. <laughs> Just happen to have an extra pound laying. That's not what he's talking about. I always get these weird questions after I say things like that. Of course not. That's sin, you knucklehead. <laughs> not talking about enabling sin and letting people do whatever they want. It's saying, look, when, when, when it's in your capacity and you have something and somebody else needs it, one of the greatest uses of your property rights, if you want to look at it, is to bless somebody else. It's to give who him who has not. And you put these things together, it's a pretty amazing statement. We hang on to stuff. We, 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 we want to own it. We want to possess it. We want to lay hold of it. And again, not talking about you using the assets that God has given you well and having savings accounts. So please don't go there with that stuff. Not what I'm saying at all. It's not what Scripture says. It's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said was, very often we have more than we need. And very often we have the capacity to actually show somebody a type of love that they don't even know exists. And when you do good to people who don't like you or they're spitefully using you or they're persecuting you for his name's sake and you do good to them, you give to, to what they think is your resources and they're actually God's and God's just, he's going to give you more anyway. It's the way it works. You can't outgive God, okay? Amen. You cannot outgive God. Anybody who's walked with the Lord for a period of time, you know what I'm saying. You cannot outgive God. You give something away, he'll give you three of them back. Then he'll send you to somebody else who also needs it, and then you'll have, you know, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel here, but I am telling you, you can't outgive God. It's not possible. He'll either lower your expectations or he'll give you more of what you need. And so he's really saying, look, <laughs> it's not yours anyway, Jeff. <laughs> just give it to him. But how many of them, just like my, my mom's husband was famous for this, and forgive me if I don't call him my stepfather because he never was. He was no kind of father ever to me. My mom's husband. When we were in business, he, he so laid hold of things that he would rather let them rot and rust and deteriorate in the package than let anybody have them. He literally hoarded brand new stuff. And when he died, he still had a lot of that brand new stuff sitting in a shed, absolutely useless. And it had been useless for decades. God's saying, look, you, you don't want to do that. Give it away. Keep the dignity intact. Keep the security intact. Keep the liberty where it belongs. And give away things. What happens then is you become so insanely 
attractive to people. And we're going, yeah, I totally messed with his head. I, I completely disrespected her, and, and she came back for more. And not only that, she didn't retaliate. She didn't seek retribution. She didn't look after revenge. Instead, she baked me a cake. I came home, there were muffins on my doorstep. Their heads spinning. They're going, what kind of person does that? And what happens is the door is open for you to say, somebody who loves Jesus. Somebody who loves Jesus and wants to keep your dignity intact and your security intact and wants to set you free in liberty and wants to give you whatever I got you can have because it ain't worth losing you as a friend. We do that? Oh my goodness. What kind of world would we live in if that's how we lived our lives? And you may be saying to yourself right now, who could possibly live that way? You can. I can. We can. Anybody who names the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live this way. And I pray we do. Because the world needs that kind of selflessness. That, that kind of self-deprecating love that says, you know, look, if, if me being hurt makes you better, I'll gladly be hurt. If me doing without will give to you what you need, I'll gladly do without. If me picking your stuff up, which you should have to carry, and carrying it for you, makes it so you can get to where you need to go, hop on. If we live this way, you're going to live a crazy life, full of adventure, full of wonder, challenges, sure, but blessings beyond measure. Amen? Have the worship team come back out. As they come back out, come back up. As we close in a little time of worship. I just want to encourage you. Some of the pastors are going to come forward. And as we do on Sunday nights, it's just a time to pray. Maybe you've got something, someone, something going on in your life to where you've been you've been struggling maybe a little bit with forgiveness, maybe you've been tempted to retaliate, seek revenge maybe retribution's your middle name, I don't know but I know this I know this it doesn't have to stay that way just leave it here go home and be different remember that the Lord can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves that, that in spite of how impossible these things seem to us, they're no problem for God. And if we apply these things in our marriages, as we raise our children, as we're neighbors to, to people in our street, as we put others first and we recognize that, oh, but for that gracious saying, of, but for God's grace, go I, go we, go us, we really live that way. But we can absorb a lot more than we think we can. 
And when we do, it makes us so much like Jesus. Because that's what he did for us, amen? He answered not back, it's said of him. You don't think he could have made a pretty good argument against Pilate? Didn't say a word in his own defense. Don't think he couldn't have fought off that Roman cohort in the garden. Uh, he could have slayed him with just a word. Don't think that he couldn't have escaped down a side street as he's going to Golgotha. Oh, quite easily he could have. Don't think as they grabbed his arms and stretched them out on the cross that he couldn't have just thrown those guys halfway around the world if he wanted to. He could have. But he didn't. He didn't return evil for evil. He didn't seek retribution. He didn't seek retaliation. He didn't seek revenge. And neither did God the Father as he watched his own son nailed to a tree. It will transform your life if you choose to live this way. I guarantee it. Because the Bible says so. Amen? We're going to pray. We're going to worship. It's that time. It's eight. If you need to go, once we close in prayer, you're welcome to. If you want to stay and worship a little bit, if you need to come and get prayed for, pray with, please do that. The hours are God's. We're his kids. And it's sure been a joy to be with you tonight. Let's pray. Father, so grateful for your love, so thankful for your care. And Lord, as we think on these things, God, I think all of us would say, oh, it's impossible, can't do it. And yet, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. No good thing, your word says, will you withhold from your children. And so, Lord, this is a good thing. This is a good life. Lord, help us to treasure each other's dignity and each other's security, each other's freedom. And help us to hold on very lightly to the things that perhaps we think we possess. Let us be busy about our Father's business. Let us be filled with the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for blessing us. We invite you, God, to just rule and reign in us. Cause us to be the men and women that you've called us to be. We love you. We praise you. We bless you. We ask all this in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.